0: You are listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I'm the host, Amie Quirconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away useful and important information. So if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place and welcome. All right, everybody, today with me, I have an amazing guest. Um, I am speaking with Dr. Carol Tavris, and she works as a writer, teacher, and lecturer and has been devoted to educating the public about psychological science. Um, Her book with Elliot Aronson, Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me, Why We Justify Foolish Beliefs, Bad Decisions and Hurtful Acts, Um, was originally published back in 2015, but has actually been revised a few times and the third edition is now available that came out in 2020. And I'll say this at the beginning, the link to the third edition is actually in the podcast notes. Um, And it was updated with a new chapter called Dissonance, Democracy and the Demagogue. Um, And it applies the um, cognitive dissonance theory to every topic that you can imagine, whether it's politics, um, our memory, the criminal justice system, um, you know, our lives and relationships everywhere, f- why we fight with family, why we can't agree, and, and so on and so forth. And she talks to a lot of people about the topic of self justification, um, science or pseudoscience and psychology. Um, she's also uh, uh, written a book on feminism and gender equality. Um, she's, uh, an expert in critical thinking and even, and I'd love to be able to talk with her someday, maybe later about anger. Um, she has a book, one of the first books she wrote is anger, the misunderstood emotion. Um, but today what we're going to talk about is cognitive dissonance. Um, why it is, why we all have a tendency to justify our actions, behaviors, and beliefs, no matter what anybody tells us. Um, and so it's with pleasure. I like to welcome Carol to the show.
1: Well, I'm delighted and honored to be here. I mean,
0: yeah, this was, um, she's been on my list for everybody here. Like I make this list of like all these thinkers that I want to be able to talk to. And so Carol has been on the list for a while. Um, we actually did reach out. I think it was about a year ago. I originally reached out to you and you had told me that you guys were working on this, you know, the chapter that you've added to it and to wait until that was actually done. So then it was like, soon as it was available, I hit her back up and said, okay, now can we actually get on and talk? Um, Cognitive dissonance. Um, I think a lot of people are starting to become a little more familiar with it. And another phrase that is kind of entering into everyone's um, vocabulary is probably confirmation bias. Only because of the 2020 year that we're all experiencing right now and, and this agitation everybody seems to have over why they can't get other people to believe or, you know, fake news or real truth or whatever it is. And, um, and it's just it's this infuriating um, overarching sense of uh, that people have more so, I feel like, in, in this case. Um, but I wanted to start before we really jump into this is to ha- um, have you. Tell me a little bit about how you got into this field of critical thinking, which is just amazing, and social science. Um, in, in other words, how did you learn to become one of the leading skeptics that there are out there in the in oh, the dear. field? Oh dear, now, that really puts you on the spot because the minute you're not skeptical and not
1: critical, everybody jumps on you. Oh yeah, you the big expert on critical <laughs> thinking. Look at you, you twit! You just fell for that gullible, <laughs> you know, belief. No, uh, <laughs> first of all, I would put it this way: skepticism is just an attitude toward, toward the world, toward ideas. Um, not all ideas are created equal. Not everything is equally valuable uh, as a belief to hold. Some ideas are flat out wrong and flat out dangerous. And so critical thinking, does not mean being critical as in i hate that dress you know all right <laughs> that movie was dreadful that is not critical thinking critical thinking um my my beloved co-author carol wade and i wrote an introductory psychology textbook that was the first to try to specify what the elements are of critical thinking that all of us can carry with us in our everyday lives whether we are scientists accountants, um, household workers, whatever we might be. So critical thinking really requires, um, well, we specified what these steps are. You have to be able to examine the evidence, determine whether the evidence has, uh, is worthy and valuable and scientifically supported. Um, it's, a, it's a willingness to ask questions, to be willing to wonder, why is this so? Here's something I've heard all my life is it true is it time to change my views about this thing i've believed forever and ever just because i've believed it forever and ever when do we change our minds when the evidence says that we should so we said in our textbook that you know the f- specific findings in psychology that you learn this year are going to change over time we want to teach you to think like a psychological scientist to really be able to assess the evidence consider other explanations for things and give up ideas once we should. So Mm -hmm. that said, that's been kind of a principle I've lived by all my life. My friends joke with me that, you know, when I say, here's some really interesting information that's going to show you why your belief in X, Y, Z is completely wrong. Isn't that interesting? And people rarely have said to me, Why, thank you so much for giving me this information. You know, what they say is, oh, piss off and take your stupid study with you. Right? Isn't that what people say? Yeah. Right. Right. So um, I'm sitting with Elliot Aronson, one of the greatest social psychologists in the world, um, and really the developer of cognitive dissonance theory into a theory of self-justification. And we got to talking about the many domains in the world in which that tendency to justify beliefs, justify the harms we've inflicted on others, justify attitudes or practices, professional or personal, that we really should give up, why that is such a universal phenomenon and the harms that it can cause. So that was really the origin of our writing this book, Mistakes Were Made, it was his title, but not by me, because that's that's the point one of the deepest rooted cognitive biases of the brain is the belief that we see things as they really are, Mm -hmm. right? Everybody else is is biased. So therefore, if I can just sit down with you and explain why my view of things is right and your view of things is wrong, you will understand immediately that you are biased, (laughs) you know, and and you'll accept everything I tell you. Well, Mm -hmm. right, you know, why doesn't that happen?
0: Right, right. You know, it's, um, it's interesting because it, it, as you're, as we're talking about theory and I want to, you know, have a kind of expand on what like interrelates with cognitive dissonance. Um, you know, I wonder, and, and please tell me if this is the case, is cognitive dissonance applied only to when our actions and behaviors are negative? No. Is it, it, Okay. Here, let, let's start with a definition
1: then. You know, okay. it's a popular term. Yeah. Everybody throws this around all the time. People are in the state of dissonance about the, And sometimes they get the definition right. Um, but I mean, and it turns up in jokes all the time, you know, um, the New Yorker had a wonderful humor column called cognitive dissonances. I'm comfortable with, you know, (laughs) know, the ones I like. So it's used a lot, but here's really what it, what it originally meant was that the mind is designed. This is a fundamental mechanism of the human mind. Um, It's designed to feel uncomfortable when we are holding two ideas that are inconsistent with each other, or an idea and a behavior that are inconsistent with each other. So the classic example is smoking. I know smoking is terrible, bad, and harmful and unhealthy, but I wanna smoke. That puts the smoker in a state of dissonance. Those two things don't sit well because we have to assume most people don't wanna kill themselves by smoking. So to resolve the dissonance, they have to change their attitudes about smoking. Well, it's harmful, but it keeps me thin, and after all, overweight is a bad thing too. Or we have to give up smoking, see? The point is that it's mentally uncomfortable to be in a state of dissonance, and so we are motivated to reduce it by changing one or another of those beliefs or behaviors. Um, In our book, we use a gorgeous example of Sarah Silverman, who did a little YouTube about the dissonance she felt when her beloved friend, Louis C.K., admitted to the sexual misbehavior and assaults that he had been perpetrating on the women he knew. And she stands there in this YouTube and says, here are two things. I love this man. He's a wonderful friend of mine. And His behavior was wrong and despicable. So what most people would want to do in a state of that dissonance is dump the friendship or minimize the offense. She would do neither. And so when you actually see what dissonance feels like to people in those circumstances and in our own lives, we can see how quickly we want to reduce that dissonance But sometimes it's really best for us to live with it and think about which way to jump.
0: Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Thinking back to the Me Too movement and how a lot of people had to really make make that kind of decision making and and resolve some of that, especially I think, you know, it's easy, I believe, and you even talked about it in the book, you know, it's easy for us to dump our celebrities, you know, idols, you know, if they do something that's out of alignment with our values, we find out some, you know dark secret about, you know, their behaviors and, and you can rattle off any number of, you know, people that have disappointed us, you know, because you're just like, wow, I didn't realize that was really who you were, you know, big shock. Um, but when you're, it's somebody that's connected to you and then you sit there and you have to hold these two ideas together and, and decide, you know, what you can do. Um, you know, I think we've all been through that. You know, how to look at somebody and go, I can't resolve the fact that you're telling, you know, that this person's abusive to his wife, but then also really awesome to hang out with and have a beer with, Mm -hmm. you know,
1: (laughs) I mean, so. See, both are true. I mean, in our country now, we are losing the concept of ambiguity and nuance and complexity in people's behaviors. We're judging people on a kind of all or nothing basis. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's appropriate to do, but sometimes it really is not. So, What cognitive dissonance is, in other words, is really the discomfort we feel when two ideas clash with each other, right? And what Elliot did in advancing this theory, as you said, as you just said, exactly right, it's not so painful or powerful if the dissonance has to do with you and your friend disagree about a movie, you know, or it's some celebrity and Unless, by the way, it's Michael Jackson. We saw massive dissonance there between his admirers and detractors, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But where it is most powerful for all of us is when the dissonance is caused by our getting information that we who after all are smart, reasonable, kind, adorable, and thoughtful, and ethical, and just all around terrific, and better than average. Okay? <laughs> we now get information that we have just done something that was harmful to another person, that was thoughtless or cruel, that was flat out wrong. I've held this belief, and now you're telling me that I'm, I'm wrong about this. I, a reasonable person, am wrong. Okay, The dissonance created then, when it when it has to do with our self-concept, that's what's excruciating. And what Elliot has shown in his gorgeous experiments is that under those circumstances, people will reduce dissonance by getting rid of the evidence, blaming the other person and retaining their self-esteem, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We we have a story in the book. It shows how early cognitive dissonance starts. A woman (laughs) wrote to us to say she had taken her three-year-old daughter to the park with a bunch of stickers for the little girl to you know, to play with and work on and so forth. And another little girl was playing in the park and her mother said to her, honey, why don't you offer that other little girl some stickers and you can play together? And the child thought about this for a few seconds and then said, mommy, that little girl doesn't like stickers. <laughs> okay, now here's what's happening. The child at the age of three Gets to continue to see herself as a good, generous little girl and keep her stickers. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and not that's- have to share them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and not have to share them, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what we do, you know. You say, well, you know, um, uh, I'm angry at my uh, sister in law because she did XYZ, and we tend to write ourselves out of that part of the rift. It's her fault, she started it. That's what little kids do, the first. Thing they say when they speak. He started it, not my <laughs> fault. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's another example of dissonance reduction at work.
0: Mm-hmm. Now you say that um, uh, that we have kind of like prepackaged blind spots that it seems like we we come with. I mean, the example of a three-year-old already knowing, like, I really don't want to share my stickers, but I don't want to say that, so I will automatically come up with an assumption, you know, to justify me not not doing that. Um, So, and I think that that might be kind of interesting and startling for people to, you know, to think that that's possible that uh, like this blind spot or this mentality, and there's several of them and, uh, you know, and some of them that seem, uh, you know, uh, again, that jumped out to me, you know, going through that was this idea of naive realism, Mm -hmm. you know, like you've mentioned that, that, that we, we are obviously because we are thinking about our, our, our point of view, and we've researched our point of view, therefore, we are the correct, you know, we hold the correct stand in this. Um, because we're realistic. I mean, that's the air quotes for the view, you know, for the listeners around that world. The fundamental um, bias of naive realism is that we are not biased.
1: Yeah. That's, that's, that's the adorable aspect of
0: it, actually. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and, and I mean, and so I'm going to ask this question because there's probably other people that are going, well, I could see how other people are like that, but not me. <laughs> not me. <laughs>
1: The the nicest compliment we ever got on our book was from a reader who said, well, you start off reading this and you think, yes, this completely explains politicians and famous people and celebrities. And then halfway through the book, you say, yes, this completely explains my brother in law and my uncle and my next door neighbor. He said, by the end, you're saying, oop, you know,
0: this completely explains me. (laughs) Right, right. And that's why I was really excited about having the conversation because part of this is, is, you know, um, how wonderful it is to, again, let's laugh about this, right? Because sometimes it's it's not always funny that we do this. Um, But I think if we can uh, just Kind of like let 's dial it back we 're not judging you know a lot of people come into this uh, life and get into their adulthood with a whole lot of shame you know on top of them and and you know and I talk about this with the therapeutic guests that I have on here, the counselors and the therapists and the researchers in the, in that area of psychology, um, which can overlay into this and maybe deepen some of those biases that we have or the, that, that self-justification, right? Because it's painful, you know, for some more so than others. Um, but what I find fascinating about this is the idea that even if you don't have a bunch of deep-seated trauma or, you know, disapproving parents, we might all still have some of this. We might look back in our, in our past and go, you know, I, I'm obviously... Correct, because I don't have trauma in my background, you know, making me feel shameful about admitting fault or you know that I might be wrong or or something like that. Um, How this works? Yes, you're right. I know that you are very uh, concerned
1: about personal cases or you know extreme psychological problems that people have. No, the thing about cognitive dissonance is that no one is immune. No one is immune, and in fact, um, the people for whom it is hardest to to admit to mistakes, to admit errors, to admit misjudgments are the people who have had the strongest commitment to a belief or even a practice. Um, Think about the physicians who would not give up doing radical mastectomies, even when the evidence showed that it was time to do that in favor of lumpectomies, which were less disfiguring. Uh, These guys were not malevolent, stupid, uh, ignorant surgeons and physicians, they thought they were doing the best thing for their patients. But when you can't give up that best thing, that practice you've been doing all your life, because the evidence says you should, that's where the, the harm occurs. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the parents who believed that vaccines were the cause of their children's autism, your hearts can go out to them to think about their feeling that what did I do to Cause my little kid to have autism, understandably, would be drawn to the explanation that it was the vaccine. And now you go public and now you form a group and now you start protesting and now you learn that every medical organization and research group in the world tells you you can relax. You didn't do anything. It was not the vaccine that caused autism. And see, again, you would think they would say, why, thank you. For giving me this extremely important information, I can breathe easy now. No, they preferred to cling to their original belief that the vaccines were harmful. Okay, maybe they don't cause autism, but they're bad for other reasons. Mm -hmm. That's the real danger that if people reduce dissonance too quickly on one side of the choice between believe this thing or don't believe this thing, it becomes very hard to change that judgment over time mm-hmm. that's where the the that's where it becomes so harmful we use the example in the book of the pyramid of choice you
0: mm-hmm.
1: mentioned this would you like me to
0: oh yeah go in because i definitely wanted to talk about because i it's you know it's a great metaphor for showing this this transition you know in this thank movement you. for thank people you. yeah
1: well thank you thank you because i i find it really very helpful for people you the, the metaphor is this you imagine two people standing at the top of a pyramid they're standing side by side with pretty much the same attitude towards say cheating or vaccines whatever the thing is but let's say cheating they don't cheating isn't the best thing in the world to do it is not a good thing to do but you know it's not the greatest crime either all right now they're taking we, we use the example with students but it could be any kind of cheating but now they're given an opportunity they're taking an exam And they completely freeze, you know, in the way that you do when you're taking an exam. And you completely freeze, and then you think, oh, my God, I can't answer this question. I'm going to fail the exam. I'm going to fail the course. I'm going to flunk out of school. No one will ever like me ever again, including my cat. This is disaster. And now the student next to you allows you to read her answers. So you have a split second to decide, cheat or don't cheat, okay? The minute you make a decision, the minute we make any decision, we must now make that action consonant with our belief about cheating. So the person who cheats will now justify having cheated by, say, by changing their attitude. Cheating is really not such a bad thing. Oh, please, everybody cheats. This is trivial. I'll never do it again. It's no, no big deal. The person who resisted cheating and might, by the way, now get a worse grade says, wait a second, cheating is really a serious crime. It affects everybody. This is no victimless crime here. This is, this is really a sin. And over time, as they f- slide down the pyramid on each side, as you are just imagining with your hands, <laughs> they're spending more and more time justifying the decision they made to cheat or not cheat. And by the time the two former friends are at the bottom of that pyramid, they're very far apart from each other in their attitudes about cheating one has spent a lot of time justifying cheating it was okay to do now the benefit of this of this image some people might want to say slippery slope the reason it's more of a pyramid is that we put active mental effort into justifying each step down the way and to the bottom and once you're at the bottom think now how hard it would be to go back up and say, you know what, my original decision to cheat was wrong. It's really hard to do that. So very often when we look at people who seem to have preposterous beliefs, uh, beliefs that uh, lead them into cults in which they give up their money, their families, their relationships, and sometimes their lives, if we look at them at the bottom of the pyramid, it seems mysterious to us. We're not looking at the whole slide that they have spent a lot of time justifying each step toward getting there.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, you with the example of the students. You know, you've got two people that are that are moving along the pyramid. The pyramid, and then I think one of the other examples that you used was um, even related to like Watergate and like the the incremental yeah. decision making. Exactly. And what that example really kind of made me think about was, um, you know, the where it wasn't two people. It was me, me at the top of the pyramid with two choices. Exactly. Um, and so here I was in a situation several years ago where I began to see the red flags of something that could turn into an abusive situation. But with my knowledge, my, my self-awareness at that time, instead of making the choice to go down one side of the pyramid, I, I made the first step towards the other side of the pyramid. And then you fast forward six years and, and just looking at myself was like, how did I get here? Because at the bottom, it was ridiculous I was even there. But like you noticed that, or you guys discuss in here, uh, you know, no one instantly slides down, like the gap doesn't grow right away. It actually can happen either from somebody guiding you down the path they want you to do, or you just making those internal decisions. So it doesn't have to be you compared to somebody else. It can be you today versus the you you could have been. Well, no, thank it's, you so much for making that
1: clarification, because of course, that's how it works. Cognitive dissonance is an internal process that we do for ourselves. And the thing to understand is that every time we make a decision, big or small, which kind of car to buy, whether to buy this house or that house or or whether to take this job or move to that job, or, or this partner or that partner, or whoever, whatever the choice is, from big to small, the minute we make, well, let's put it this way, before we make any decision, that is when we are at our most open-minded. You're going to buy a car, you're going to find out everything about your choices of cars. The minute we choose, the minute we choose, we will now start justifying that decision as being the right and best one. And we do it this way. You mentioned confirmation bias at the beginning. The other deeply rooted bias of the human mind is the confirmation bias. That is the tendency only to look for and remember information that confirms what we believe and to ignore and minimize and trivialize any information that is dissonant with what we believe. So the minute we make a decision, personal, or a professional or a car, we will now start looking for all the reasons it was the right decision, and we will minimize evidence that it wasn't This is true of all new relationships, of course you're deliriously in love. this is the person I'm the best person on the planet, and how, how wonderful this person is okay and you don't pay any attention to the fact that socks are everywhere in the house, you know, and there's another <laughs> person has habits, you really kind of don't like you. Minimize and ignore them because they're not important. And by the way, you really love this person. So that's normal. That's natural. That's healthy. That's what allows relationships to survive, of course, is to minimize the bad and emphasize the good. But, <laughs> but the danger is if the bad is really seriously bad and you are too busy ignoring it and minimizing it to acknowledge it.
0: Yeah, yeah for sure. And, and I think that that's You know, there's a there's a lot of self work to do in that to be able to um, to be honest with yourself. You know, to say that hey, you know, I did I did overlook you know some very critical things. And of course, when we're talking about relationships, is um, helping people understand maybe why they chose to to ignore that. You know, Uh, Elliot and I did a workshop uh, some years
1: ago on regret, uh, on the psychology of regret, because. What, what cognitive dissonance allows us to do, what reducing it allows us to do is sleep at night. You know, you could be the worst dictator on the planet um, and you will, you will justify your behavior um, as being you know, for the greater good or whatever it might be. You know, this is how, this is how tyrants and dictators sleep. They sleep soundly, thank you very much. Um, But what, as Eliot has always pointed out, sometimes a few sleepless nights are called for to allow us to face the mistakes we made and the harms we caused, but also to understand our own part in our own life story. So easy to blame the other person for everything. What did we do that was wrong along this path? Well, of course, the goal is not to live wallowing in regret, self-recriminations, and beating yourself up either. The point is to spend enough time with that regret and pain to understand what you did so that you won't commit the same mistake again. So he came up with a question that I thought was a really wonderful one for all of us facing a difficult decision. He said to the people in this group, beating themselves up over bad marriages and other things he said what did you know at the time you made the decision that you didn't want to know oh, what a great question mm-hmm. people said uh, <laughs> you know, I, they told me he was a drunk but i didn't I, No, he just likes to have a few extra drinks every night but i didn't want to know i didn't want to know and so they didn't want to face it mm-hmm. so that's that's one way into understanding our part mm-hmm. in our decision making.
0: One of the other things that I've brought up when I've spoken, um, you know, on the topic as it relates to, to like business coaching, um, because this can happen because there's real dollars involved with this, and it goes back to I think part of the, um, you know, the car analogy and several examples that you you've you've used that are non-monetary, but it is this the cost sunk fallacy. Wow. Um, which I have been notorious for applying it to personal relationships as well as, you know, seeing other people and, and even myself applying it to business decisions. Like, well, I've already gone so far down the path, I can't justify backing out now. Like, you know, it, just 10 more minutes and it'll be better or, you know, a few more hundred dollars and it'll be great, you know, and that's, a, that's another form of self-justification that that doesn't always Um, actually fruit what we hope out of it. It just keeps us in the hamster wheel, right, of moving forward with a bad decision. Exactly right. Exactly right.
1: And it's because we don't want to face the fact that the decision we made was a wrong one. Because after all, we are too smart and informed and wise to make a bad decision, aren't we? So therefore, just a few more thousand dollars and it will turn out to be exactly the right decision. Yes, some costs is uh, is one is indeed one aspect of cognitive dissonance reduction uh, that impulse to justify putting more time money and effort into something that really isn't worthy and we show in the book some of the clever rationalizations that people come up with for this one of my favorite was was a study in which uh, you know a sort of it was a, supposed to be a, a program to help you study better or get better grades or Uh, you know, improve your academic skills or whatever it was. And and the empirical, the objective evaluations of the program were that it did nothing at all. (laughs) You know, it had no effectiveness whatsoever. And so did people say, oh, I'm so glad I spent hundreds of dollars on this self-improvement program that did nothing? No. What they did was they misremembered how bad they were when they began the program. Interesting. See, I mean, people are really, really clever at reducing dissonance. They didn't say this was worthless. They said, no, it really, really helped because look how bad I was. And look how much worse I would be if I didn't take the course. Mm-hmm. So that is, I mean, that's the kind of thing that, by the way, keeps people in programs that aren't effective um, because, well, you know, yeah, it really helped, you know,
0: <laughs> I'd be worse if I hadn't been in it. Right, right. right. One of the things that's timely to what we're, um, we're discussing now that I think we've seen a lot, which um, you know, goes into the the Black Lives Matter um, uh, movement, but most specifically anti-racism. You know, a lot of people, uh, white people, of course, sitting there with, um, you know, the belief system that they're not racist. um, And then having um, this this other way of being reflective on our actions and behaviors and and what we do or, or haven't done Um, actually, you know, I mean, to me, it's really, to be honest, it's a, it's a new phrase, you know, to not just say I'm not racist, but to actually say, well, am I anti-racist? And I've seen, you know, I mean, everybody has seen this, you know, these really strong, passionate levels of discomfort on every angle, you know, around the topic, people feeling really defensive about, you know, their actions, um, you know, saying I'm not a racist, I'm not a racist. Maybe doing things, though, that would be considered racist to a person of color um, or and, and, and feeling uncomfortable with having to sit with it. I mean, I think that since, you know, um, Memorial Day and since the death of George Floyd, a lot of people have been sitting here in a state of dissonance trying to find, you know, have you been talking with anybody about this topic? Because the core of change and to be able to sit and recognize where, you know, maybe you can take on another viewpoint that's different without being shamed for it or feeling guilty for it. Or, or, you know, maybe you should feel a little guilty or shame because maybe there were some things that you did do that were really kind of crappy. Um, I don't know. I mean, we all have our different levels, but have you spoken to folks about cognitive dissonance and how it's playing right now in this one particular, I mean, this is one of, you know, a million 2020 topics that are really throwing people around the, the boat. Oh, Why not ask a simple, easily answered question? (laughs) Do it. That's why you're here.
1: (laughs) Well, what a complicated question. Um, Yeah. From the get-go, our book had a chapter on pride and prejudice and um, how it is that we, you know, unless you are a white supremacist who is proud of the fact that you think white people are the, you know, the best whatever. of all human beings, whatever, da, da, da. And you're, so you're proud of being a racist. It's not a bad term to you. Most people would not like to think of themselves as racist or sexist or bigots of any kind. So because after all, you're a good kind person. And what do you mean you're a bigot and a racist? Now somebody gives you some information about either in your behavior or your attitudes that they would consider a racist belief that you hold or a racist action that you took. Okay. Now, um, I I mean, listen, (laughs) almost no one wants to call themselves a racist. Donald Trump said he's the least racist person you've ever met, which I quite love given his incredible history of discrimination against African Americans, which was known at the time of the election, of course. Um, So, you know, no one's going to say I'm a racist. Um, Mel Gibson when arrested, drunk, and spewing misogynist remarks about women, and I, think, I don't know what other categories he was spewing his hatred toward. Said, oh, uh, That's not Jewish me. people, too. Yeah, Jewish, Jewish people, too. too. Yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, anti-Semitism. Yeah, right. That was the liquor speaking. No, Mel, really, you know, <laughs> shut up before <laughs> you make things worse. But, um, but you notice that in the apologies that people make publicly, it's always, I am not a Fill in the blank, even though I did X, Y, Z. Okay, so as a society, I, I welcome this time of reflection and thinking as people sit with, live with, the discomfort of thinking, gee, did I believe, do, think these things? And what can I do about it now? Now, I'm, on the one hand, I see it as a strength of any society to change its collective mind, if you will. I mean, I grew up at a time of incredible, well, continuing sexism. Are you kidding? I mean, um, <laughs> many young women today don't have a clue that you couldn't get a mortgage in your own name. You couldn't have credit in your own name. You were earning a tiny bit of what, I mean, let's, they don't have to go through the list, but Nobody nobody thought they were sexist, okay? We had to learn what sexism meant. The women's movement of the 70s made the country aware of the nature of discrimination against women. The civil rights movement made the country vividly aware of the egregious uh, discrimination and harms committed against African Americans. So there are these the first step is a kind of consciousness raising right and then the question is what people do with this information what do we do with this information actually this very week my high school friends have gathered together to try to get our high school renamed it was named after a virginia plantation owner who Owned had owned thirty plantations of enslaved people. He was a serial rapist. In his eighties, he paid someone to bring him black women for his sexual pleasure. What? I mean, you know, we, this was to, <laughs> us, to us. This was the best high school on the planet. We loved this high school. We loved it dearly. But we were blind, blind. To even asking the question, who's this school named after anyway? And we're not, this was Los Angeles, we're not talking about the the Confederate heroes that have statues to them, right? So all of these things are dissonance creating. Gee, I've lived in this city with statues to Confederate leaders. Why exactly? Uh, didn't the South actually lose the Civil War, you know? Um, so that's what's happening is people are having to rethink what they think they thought, really, and you know, it's it's really true because the country is at the top of a pyramid in a way, although mm-hmm. we always are. This is not a pyramid. This particular pyramid never goes away, but it means for each of us to that the choice is either immediately throw away, like a hot potato, any possible information that I myself held racist thoughts, do hold racist thoughts, or sexist thoughts, or any other ist thoughts, or take the time and effort to think critically and carefully about beliefs I held that perhaps I should give up, about ignorance that I have that I really ought to remedy, right, Uh, and what I want to do going forward. Mm So those are the choices that pyramid has got a point at the top for a reason. It's uncomfortable being there. I mm-hmm. do want to jump off it and we should be careful which way we jump.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I, with everything again, that's, uh, that's swirling around um, you know, I, I want to talk about the last chapter um, before I kind of come back to the, the thought that I have here. Um, but, you know, you actually, you have a note at the beginning of like, you know, Hey, we wrap this up at the end of 2019. Um, And so, (laughs) yeah, it's funny. And, um, and so everything already was based on, you know, what had happened up to that point. Um, And so I'm I'm curious now that we have 2020 under your belt and you're looking at, um, because again, who would have imagined, I mean, to be honest, who who would have imagined pandemics, Um, you know, again, finally, uh, you know the fire is igniting in, a, in an extremely forceful way, not just in the United States but worldwide. You know when it comes to uh, racial injustices um, and, and the Black Lives Matter movement, really kind of stepping up. Um, and but just you know, now that you have 2020 under your belt, would you have done or said anything differently about chapter? You know the last chapter of the book, where it again it's a uh, dissonance democracy and the demagogue. Yes. Yeah, so um, no. Uh, well, I mean, let's pick somebody. Let's Trump, for example. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, just for example? Oh, okay. let's, just, let's just point it like a president. <laughs> um, the one that's really, you know, um, his, his divisiveness is so powerful. And I think also what's interesting in the book, for people to read the book and see that, you know, the more we talk about it and the arguing about it, as you guys point out, doesn't end up resolving it, it actually makes it even worse. Like the more we hold our belief and try to convince somebody else that their belief is wrong, it almost it, like it keeps pushing us further, further down each side of the pyramid. You know, we think we're moving up towards the top again and coming closer together, but what you guys have seen in examples and studies and everything is that the more we keep at each other, the further we actually slide down, which I think would be startling for people to actually know and understand that because it, it does change then, like what then should our behavior be if what we're trying to do is come up with unity or an understanding or whatever our, our you know, our outcome is that we want um, to know that we're, we're all behaving almost in the opposite way to get us to where we want to go. I mean, is that a correct statement?
1: Well, yes, uh, people who have a deep emotional investment in a belief, what we show is the more time, effort, passion, intensity they put into a belief, the harder it's going to be for them to say, I was wrong. That's true for everybody. So what we wanted to do in the last chapter was to show in a way, so, I mean, what we've shown throughout the book is that sometimes people will prefer to die than to give up a belief. Uh, the members of Heaven's Gate cult believed they were gonna be rescued by a spaceship and the hale bop comet, and they committed suicide so the spaceship could take them away. Um, that seems crazy, unless we see all the time and effort they invested in that belief. The people who are opposing the simplest wearing of masks Um, will not wear masks until they die, as Herman Cain did. Uh, They will prefer to see a mask as a symbol of their commitment and loyalty to Donald Trump. And they're willing to put their lives at risk for that belief. And what we show throughout the book is that is not unusual, that uh, many people will go that far rather than say, time to change my mind. What we wanted to show in the last chapter, um, I mean, some Republicans always said, you know, gee, you're so busy bashing Republicans, and why don't you ever bash Democrats? Which, of course, is a great example of cognitive dissonance, because they don't see the examples in the book in which we're bashing Democrats. They don't see them. Wait a minute. Didn't, didn't you say this here about Lyndon Johnson, the master of self-justification? No, we missed that one. Okay. So the, the point is that it's never dissonant when... Somebody in the other party behaves badly. It's only dissonant when it's your own party. What we wanted to show in the last chapter by using the story of our leading demagogue, we have never had a demagogue as president of the United States until this one. This is not business as usual. This is not party as usual. And we see this. The dissonance created by the nomination of Donald Trump began with his nomination when some Republicans immediately said, never Trump, including Lindsey Graham, by the way, and Ted Cruz and mm-hmm. many others. This guy is a bigot, a xenophobe, a, a an embarrassment to the party. I will never, never, never have anything to do with him. I will not vote. Others held their noses and voted for him. And of course there were many millions who voted for him for knowing exactly what they were doing. The leader of the white, pride you know, movement and be precisely because of his bigotries. But if we put them aside, the majority of people who voted for Trump did so wanting, believing that there would be adults in the room to control him uh, politically and professionally and that he was gonna give them the things they wanted that the republican party promised you know big tax cut and conservative justices and so, da, da, da. and so they ignored minimized trivialized the information that was abundantly apparent about donald trump at the time of the election so what we want to do in that last chapter is show what it ta- what it has taken Trump's supporters to go back up the pyramid and begin to peel away their support from him. So see, this is, in in a sense, the chapter is not about Republicans versus Democrats, but the way in which Trump supporters justified their support of him until they couldn't, until there came a point, something he did that was one step too far, even for them to swallow. And what's happening now What we're seeing is a kind of escalation of, Uh, of steps too far that Trump has taken, complete sheer devastating incompetence about dealing with COVID uh, resulting in the deaths of thousands upon thousands of Americans, utter incompetence. Um, The fact that he, the fact that he has never stood up to Putin. Just imagine if it were the Democrats in the pocket of Vladimir Putin, um, if, Putin was interfering with our election to support Democrats. Republicans would be screaming, would be screaming. But no, we, ha- but, you know, we, we think Putin's cute, so never mind. So the amount of dissonance that many Republican supporters of Trump have had to swallow has led us to this point now. And what's really interesting to see are, for example, the ads of Republicans against Trump and mm-hmm. many Republicans saying, you know what, I was, I've been a staunch Republican all my life. I've never voted for a Democrat. I believe in the, I oppose gun control. I, you know, all of it. But this guy's dangerous. This guy is corrupt. This guy is a coward and a disaster for America. With the ending line, you can change your, no, it's okay to change your mind. See, that's the message. It's okay to change your mind that so many people find hard to do if they have put so much time and energy into not changing their mind. Mm -hmm. That's why you're not going to be able to persuade your best friend, your sister, your Aunt Harriet to change her mind about Trump if you have always been opposed to Trump. But a Trump supporter could change her mind. Mm
0: Interesting. Interesting. Well, that that kind of leans it down here then towards the end of, you know, the conversation. I mean, I feel like we could keep doing this because this is truly fascinating, but we have other things to do today, too. (laughs) Um, But you know right now there is this drain emotionally I think on so many people uh you know connected through social media of the just this intensity to try to do that to try to change the minds of other people and it's um you know I had my own personal uh philosophy of just never posting politically on there you know the people that listen to me that you know um come from all different backgrounds have a lot of different political leanings and belief Mm -hmm. systems um and I and I've never wanted to to, to polarize against everybody because I want it, I want access to healing to be available for everybody. You know, we all, we can all do this and come together. Um, but I've, I've been triggered in the last year because of the behavior of the president very closely mimics the behaviors of an abuser that I had. And it's hard for me just as a human being, I'm just, you know, I'm just a woman here um, to not get just so angry about seeing this, knowing that, you know, it's not just him, but there are other people that are like this that, Um, you know that people follow and and overlook and I will admit I overlooked I slid down the dark side of my own personal pyramid where I made choices all the way that took me away from who I was at the top of the pyramid and who I could have been if I had made different choices so I don't point fingers at everybody and go you guys were all wrong I made all those mistakes myself right good
1: for good I'm sorry no it's okay no
0: no no Um, and so you know I, I have found myself then wanting to dialogue about the dangers of this person, you know, only to be able to, to add more content, you know, and more information, right? More mind changing to the conversation. But every time I post something now politically, I, it it stirs up a response from somebody whose mind can't be changed, who wants to see it from their perspective. They want to start debating with me. And I'm just like, man, I'm done with debating. Like I'm going back to I can't do politics anymore because I know I can't change their mind and yet why do I still keep throwing something out there? You know, fingers crossed that this is the post that does it, but yeah. we're all doing it. I mean, maybe not all. There's probably people with a little bit better self-discipline, <laughs> but many people are doing it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like we feel powerless unless we can't um, against this, you know, that discomfort, I guess, which is um, not seeing why other people just don't see it the way we see it yeah. and being just Ah, you know, well, tense about they,
1: that. They've put,
0: you know. See, first of all,
1: it would be like someone trying to change your mind. I mean, if you were a staunch Democrat and someone said to you, you know, the Democratic Party has got done this, 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 and this, and they're horrible, and and you really should change your mind. I mean, that isn't going to persuade, you know, a staunch Democrat either. We live in very unusual times now. Uh, you, of course, you're absolutely right about the reflex of how dare you criticize Trump and so forth. But here's the thing I think to keep in mind with a bit of understanding and even sympathy. Uh, I saw an ad recently, and, and no, I saw an interview uh, with a young woman, her first election was in 2016 and she voted for Trump and she said, I am so embarrassed. I am so embarrassed. I thought he was gonna do this, this, and this for the country, and I have watched now for these last years, his lies, the constant lies and the corruption of everybody in his administration and the disaster with Russia and the interference with elections and his trampling on, I mean, she she said, but this is the key word she said, I'm so embarrassed that I voted for him. Now, one of the things that we'll see um, see that that that's dissonance that's dissonance that moment of realization that i did something i now regret what most people want to do is just throw more shot and shell at that decision to try to shout you down as a way of not hearing that they might be wrong you know if i just shout loud enough you can <laughs> change your mind um, So the real question will be um, what people do to resolve that discomfort and embarrassment. And what I think we're seeing is that a lot of people are saying, it's okay to change your mind. It's okay to change your mind. It doesn't make you a lesser person. It makes you a bigger person. Mm
0: -hmm. And that applies across the board this whole year. Across the board. Across the board. board. I think, you know, what... Each of us, you know, I mean, what I do, and I can't tell what everybody else can do, but I know that what I do is I have open space, gracious space to allow that for other people. Um, Because we have had a tendency, some of us, several of us, to still judge us based on our past actions, go back to the person you were with what you knew at that time, criticize the decision that you originally made. And we have a hard time allowing sometimes Other people to change their mind, right? Like I, you know, I get that you did that, but here, here you're safe. You're safe Mm -hmm. to actually rethink yourself and to be vulnerable, Mm -hmm. right?
1: Look how important this is in so many ways. Our our society is busy shouting at people and canceling people for things they said or did thirty years ago, Mm -hmm. twenty years ago, when they were you know teenagers or young adults and changed by them we don't we don't acknowledge that they might have changed they might have learned something they might be something something else and uh but we want them punished we want them punished for what they did 30 years ago without any grace note that they might have learned and changed um, that's true with racism or any other sexism or any other thing there were ways that people behaved that were, we would now see as being blind foolish and harmful we don't like them now and what a good thing that we don't like them now but to hold people accountable for that, you know, years ago, the, the madmen world, that's how that world was. I was part of it. I knew how what the rules were. Um, and as as many people have written, who are we to be harsh in our judgments if we think about how our own generation will be judged 30 or 40 years? hence? What? You were driving a gas-powered car? You know, you... I'm I'm writing you out of the historical record, you know. What I mean, so uh, a little a little mercy, forgiveness, and empathy I think goes a long way. And um, it's it's very very difficult. My mother and her brother in law used my bro- her brother in law used to fight with her fiercely about politics, but in a in a kind of nasty way. And one day she said to him, "You know what, Abe? If you want to know why I believe what I believe politically, I'd be happy to tell you." But if you just want to bait me, and you know, make remark- provocative remarks, and you're really not interested at all in why I think what I think, then I don't want to have these conversations with you. Period. End of discussion. And I think that's how it can be with our friends and families, who members who differ on the Trump question, if you will. There's a way of saying, "Look, well, I have a lot of problems with Trump. Do you have any problems with him? Is he just the perfect guy for you? And if so, why? I really want to know." And by the way. That's interesting information to really want to know, really, mm-hmm. uh, but, but to mean it, um, mm-hmm. but if not, if you don't want to have that conversation, then don't, because you're not going to change that person's mind, most likely. Mm-hmm. Maybe you will, if it's a civilized conversation.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Keyword civilized. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Remember those days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, um, the last thing I'd like to ask you for people that are listening in to to venture off is, um, you know, you mentioned it a little bit at the beginning. So if you could come back to, you know, what is critical thinking and and what can we do, um, you know, to help ourselves become a little bit more skeptical so that, um, you know, because there is truth and there is dishonesty, right? It's not like, you know, and and the shades are sometimes interpretation, you know, Uh, and again, we just spent an hour talking about bias whether we believe it's truth or dishonesty has to do with the bias that we bring to it. But if we truly want to be, you know, really good critical thinkers and to be able to um, raise our own level of awareness of when our biases may be doing our thinking for us versus, you know, trying to be appropriately skeptical, you know, not conspiracy theorists, but appropriately skeptical about things. What are some things that you would recommend for people to start to kind of, you know, maybe try to incorporate or questions they can ask themselves.
1: Oh, it's very difficult challenge at present because the internet is full of so much crap, misinformation, disinformation, conspiracy theories, uh, just, it's really hard to find your way through that. Uh, morass, you look f- at Snopes.com and places that check, fact checker uh, sites. I do that too, by the way, and I'm often surprised at something that I was absolutely true and believable only to learn Oop, no it really actually wasn't you know which by the way is very dissonance producing when a when a skeptical person is found to be gullible i don't like <laughs> it it's Not comfortable. i hate it <laughs> uh, um boy that it, i can't really answer in specific questions i would say this um science with all the discussion of the, who believes in science and science science is not one single thing what it is, though, is a set of methods that require us to put our beliefs to a empirical test. And the great thing about the scientific method is that it's designed to show us that our beliefs are wrong. How dissonance creating that is, that, that our beliefs are wrong? No, it completely counters the confirmation bias. That's why science is so annoying to so many people. I believe this, and now you're telling me that the evidence shows me I'm wrong. Well, that's why I don't like science, okay? But the scientific method, which often annoys people because it, doesn't, it often doesn't give you the answer, but it gives us a better answer, an answer that we can live by until we need to modify it again. That is why critical thinking and skepticism and so forth are difficult for many people because they see these things as negative aspects. You're always tearing down my belief. You're always taking this away from me. I don't see it that way. I see it as a part of the creative process of the mind. It's creative and constructive to be able to say, here's an idea that was causing more harm than good. Here's an idea that, that is just trivial and useless. Here's an idea that's going to cost you thousands of dollars and won't help you. I mean, to understand why evaluating these beliefs and practices is empowering for us. It gives us better information to live by. What's more creative than that? Mm -hmm. And that's why I find having a skeptical attitude toward received wisdom is so important. Our own uh, government, well, no, I shouldn't say our government, Dr. Fauci and other scientists in our government uh, advised against wearing masks at the beginning of the pandemic because they feared, with reason, that Americans would start stockpiling whatever masks they could get their hands on and they wanted to have them available for our health workers. But instead of saying it quite that way, they said, No, masks aren't really helpful. And so when they then came forth and said, Okay, we were wrong on this one, everybody should wear a mask. It's the simplest, easiest thing we can do to control this damned virus. Some people said, well, ha, huh, there they are, scientists changing their minds as usual. They'll, ch- they'll change their minds again on this one, see? But changing your mind is not a bad thing when you're changing it toward a better belief or a better practice that will help us.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and I work as a nursing agency by day, and, you know, the, the, the mask thing was real. You know, we were unable to order masks back in March, and so... Oh, yeah. um, but uh, anyways, but that's really, that's uh, a, a, a good thing. And I guess, you know, like I said, I'm going to be changing my social media behavior just because I, I've, you know, reached my tipping point. Um, and, you know, and, you know, it's, I think the other part of dissonance is that you you know that you can't change their minds, but you do it anyways. And then you ask yourself, why did you do it? You know, I mean, it's a constant. I mean, we're always in dissonance, right?
1: Well, we
0: are. <laughs>
1: although. Although, you know, you never know, you never know when something you say or the way that you say it lands with an influence that you can't anticipate. All teachers, Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been a teacher, you know, know this. Something you say is something in passing, a story that you tell. And the student comes back to you 15 years later and said, you know that story? You know, it changed my life. But still, people read things and hear things and... Of course, you aren't going to reach any true believer. No heaven's gate cultist was going to listen to you about spaceships. But, but sometimes something is said in a way that's respectful or that's informative or non-threatening. And then the other person's able to hear it. You just don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. Don't and, a, you, a know, it, it, <laughs> you know, well, and I, I, you know, I think, you know, and I think about this conversation. And for anybody who, um, may be feeling offended by the topic, the, the discussion about Trump, I mean, I'm going to acknowledge this, you know, there may be somebody that started at the beginning of the show. And then as we got into the political, I've had this happen with one other guest where it, it, it you know, there was a political discussion integrated as it we were talking about psychopathy, you know, relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, a couple of people felt like that's where, you know, the whole, the whole interview went off the rails at that point, because once it got political, it was just, you know, unseemly. Um. You know, for anybody listening, feeling like that's what just happened to them because their viewpoints or their belief systems, you know, were more in alignment with whether it's the Republican Party, you know, quotes around the whole thing, or with you know, um, with Trump himself. You know, the takeaway is not a judgment of him, but to to ask yourself. Where does that belief come from? Why do I feel so strongly about it? Am I open? You know, and, and, and you know, I guess that self awareness is always difficult. Am I open minded or self aware to be able to to ask myself these questions and to and to wonder out loud where um, why I feel this way? Um, and that and, you know, of course, those are all independent and, and unique to each person and their lived experiences and and everything else in there. Um, but you know, to be aware that we are all you know uh, going to be guilty of um, making a, a, a decision that feels better to us or justifying our behaviors um, regardless of where we are in life, what we do in life, you know, um, and, and, and what happens. And I think that's what I really wanted, you know, to be able to be gathered for, you know, my listeners and my viewers here. That's what I wanted you guys to hear out of this conversation with Carol, um, is that this isn't, uh, is to just be aware that we're, we're going to do that and forgive ourselves and give ourselves the grace to change and to be able to do the same with the other people that we encounter. I mean, does that sound like a, fa- a fair summary of our conversation?
1: That is a gorgeous summary. What understanding dissonance does is it, it's a form of arrogance control. <laughs> you know? it's, it's, it teaches us the wisdom of humility, of holding our ideas lightly enough so that we can change them when and if we need to. And what's a better way to live in our relationships as well as our political views, than that. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, in the last chapter, we tell the story of Pope Pius XI and Mussolini, which is a story of what happens when a good man, good man, the Pope, put himself in league of supporting Mussolini for the goals of the Catholic Church. Good intentions really went wrong. Mm-hmm. And to be able to say I had good intentions, but I, they went wrong, is I think the heart of being a grown up. <laughs> we all strive for that at some point. Mm-hmm.
0: So. Yep, absolutely. Well, Carol, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you having this conversation with me. Um, so smart. The book is so awesome. Um, and I, you know, like I said, I feel pretty uh, Sometimes I feel pretty selfish that I get to do stuff like this, but you know, if I weren't recording it and sharing it with everybody else and they couldn't get the benefit of our conversation, then I, it makes me feel less selfish, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Thank (laughs) Um, you
1: so much. I've really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Cool. Thank you for listening to One Broken Mom. You can find podcast notes on my website at amiqueiraconi.com and there I'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Amie Caracone, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time, have a great day.